Microphone check. One, two, three. City, city, sibilance, sibilance. Levels check. Good. Sounds good. One, two, three. Rolling and. I didn't really fully grasp the kind of extent of it till probably around March, like when it really hit. We're still planning for the cinema screenings, but until March, when a lot of people got, got very, very sick, and just the magnitude of it, you know, just like we, we just can't do this. You know, we can't be. You can't be a maverick with people's health. You know, you can't just go in there and you know we want to keep people safe. We want to have a fun event. You know, as part of me wanted me just to you know, COVID, you're not the boss of me. Go in there, hit it out of the park, sell a lot of sessions, but I, I just I can't do that with people's health. Even up to the very last day, we were number one in audience award voting. We got all of these amazing comments from people. We were asked to be on, you know, podcast and radio. And, you know, it was exactly what we wanted. So it worked for us. I don't say online film festivals or virtual festivals are for everyone, but for sure it worked for us for this film. So I think that's one of the questions people have to ask themselves. Hello and welcome to The Documentary Life. This is a show that sets out to inspire and inform you on how to best live and lead your own documentary life. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is episode number 134, and it is brought to you by Barong Films, proud creators of documentary film and The Documentary Life podcast. Three years ago, we first had Lyndon Stone onto the program. Listeners of the show will know Lyndon from previous episodes. He is the founder and festival director of the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, commonly referred to as MDFF here on the show. At the time of that first special, way back in episodes 28 and 29, MDFF was only in its second year and still finding its footing in the documentary film festival world. Since then, MDFF has steadily become one of the more recognizable names in doc festivals and certainly one of the go-to festivals now in Oceania. At the time, we ran a two-episode special devoted entirely to the topic of film festivals for the documentary filmmaker. We took kind of a double-pronged approach by splitting the episodes into a discussion with Lyndon, effectively the festival's director, followed by a discussion with a filmmaker who was showing their film at MDFF that year. And we've had the joy of reconnecting every year since that time with both Lyndon and a filmmaker or two. I can honestly say that these episodes kind of listened together can really start to give the documentary filmmaker a fuller, more complex, more honest look at the hows, the whats, the whys of the documentary film festival. Again, from the point of view of its director and the documentary filmmaker. So it's now July again, and and we're set to do another of our annual check-ins with Lyndon at MDFF and create another of our specials devoted to documentary film festivals. Now, back in March, when, when kind of looking ahead at the year's podcast scheduling, I actually wondered if MDFF was even going to happen. I'm happy to say that at the time of this episode, MDFF is not only well underway, but that their lineup of films and filmmakers and their list of masterclasses may well be their most impressive yet. They, like a number of others, are doing what others have now been doing and will continue to do for the foreseeable future, which is that they've pivoted from the traditional film fest model and are now embracing something entirely new and foreign and pretty unique. They're either taking their entire festival programming online or some kind of hybrid of online and future in-person screenings. And the results have started coming in. 
Festivals and programmers and filmmakers and online audience members have been talking about their experiences with this new version of the Documentary Film Festival. And of course, naturally, we felt that this would be the perfect time to bring something new and fresh to the table as well. So we decided to do our annual check-in with Lyndon and this time focus our attention on the online or virtual film festival experience. And after I spoke with Lyndon, I brought in another documentary filmmaker, Melody Gilbert, who recently had her new feature documentary play online at the new version of the Minneapolis St. Paul Film Festival. And she shares some of the first experiences I've heard from the documentary filmmaker's perspective of deciding to play their film at the newer digital version of the film festival. All right, Doc Lifers, so welcome to our annual discussion on the Documentary Film Festival. We'll be back with my check-in with Lyndon, followed by our conversation with Melody. And as you know, it's all coming up next here on The Documentary Life. Hey, Doc Lifer, as you probably know, we've been running a rate and review promo that started last month. If you were to leave a rate and review at iTunes, emailed me a screenshot of the rate and review, you qualified to be in a drawing for a free 30-minute documentary filmmaking consultation with yours truly. And the response was so good, we wanted to give another one away for the month of July. So... If you don't remember the deal, we're asking you to give a rating and review of the podcast by going to iTunes, hopefully giving us five stars and writing a sentence on what you like about the show. This helps us with the iTunes algorithm and gets the podcast out to more people like yourself who can benefit from it. So basically, if you feel that you've gotten something from the show, we'd love you to pay it forward to new listeners. And of course, it does help us as well. And if you do this in the month of July, you'll be eligible for the free 30-minute documentary filmmakers consultation with me. Again, all you have to do is take a screenshot of your rating review and email it to me at chris at barongfilms.com, which is chris at b-a-r-a-n-g films.com, and you'll be automatically entered into that drawing. Thanks in advance, and I look forward to reading your review and possibly hearing about your documentary project and how I might best be able to help you. I'm happy to welcome back Lyndon Stone of the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, often referred to simply as MDFF. We've had Lyndon on for a few years running now. And uh, Lyndon, welcome back to the show. We're excited to check in with you. Hi, Chris. How you doing? Yeah, you know what? Doing pretty well, hanging in there during during this, uh, I guess, uncertain times. How are you doing? Yeah, it's very uncertain times and um, very challenging times too for the film sector. Um, so I guess yeah. we'll talk a little bit about um, you know, virtual film festivals and, and going online and, and cinemas and, and all that. Um, yeah, 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 extremely challenging time and a difficult time for the industry. Yeah, yeah I guess a great way to start out, Lyndon, is I'd ask you, you know, this year for for the festival, at what point did you did you fully grasp that there might be no MDFF, or certainly there might not be an MDFF in this traditional film festival way that we that we're used to? 
Well, you know, kind of like, you know, COVID, you're not going to be the boss of me, you know, kind of like I can go, I can do it, I can go in the cinema. I didn't really fully grasp the kind of extent of it till probably around March, like when it really hit, we're still planning for the cinema screenings, but until March when it really, a lot of people got got very, very sick um, and just the magnitude of it, you know, just like, we we just can't do this, you know, we can't be, you can't be a maverick with people's health, you know, you can't just go in there and, you know, we want to keep people safe, we want to have a fun event. Um, you know, as part of me wanted me just to, you know, COVID, you're not the boss of me, go in there, hit it out of the park, sell a lot of sessions. Mm. But I, I just, I can't do that with people's health. You know, we've got always wonderful filmmakers, their families, Victorians. Yeah. So I approached the city of Melbourne and said, look, I want to take the festival online for people's safety. Yeah. Um, they said, yeah, we, we, we concur with you. So they gave me some some sponsorship to help me to take the festival online. So mm. this is, we're in this new exciting world of virtual film festivals. Um, part of me feels a bit bad because I'm not going to the cinema and I think, I'd really like to help bring business back to Melbourne, bring business back to Carlton. But the you know the borders closed, you know, cinemas are kept now. They've gone back down to twenty now in mm. Australia because mm. of uh, a rise in COVID. Yeah. So we made the right choice. You know, it was a difficult decision, right choice. I feel a little bit bad for the cinemas that for going online, but I had little choice. So there's a lot of peer pressure. Melbourne International Film Festival has gone online. St Kilda Film Festival has gone online. Virtually all the film festivals in Australia have gone online. So I, I had little choice, but the thing is I, I wanted to go online because I wanted, the main emphasis is people's safety. That's why we're going online. You know, I also like the innovation side of it, but it's about health and safety. Yeah. 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 And we'll definitely get into the innovation aspects of it. I mean, did you consider yeah. canceling the festival outright? Like, did that come across your mind? What I want to do is try to keep my commitment to filmmakers by doing one screening online and one in a in a cinema, and that's what I'm trying to trying to, to work towards these two goals. So what, like an advanced preview in July, and then cinema screenings in in July. So, and the filmmakers have been so kind, so understanding. Like they understand, you know, this isn't business as usual. The borders closed. Cinemas are reduced to about twenty now per yeah. cinema. So they understand. They're supportive and they're kind, and and they're really embracing the festival with gutso. And I really appreciate that. So because of our size, we were in a position to cancel it. So what I've done is our decision is to postpone it. Yeah. So we are going to go and do an advanced preview. We're aiming to screen in December. If we can't do December, I'm going to keep deferring it every four to six months until we can safely screen in a cinema. I see. I see. And I'm trying to do this one, this kind of hybrid model where we're going on online and then it's just for this year online and then into the cinema yeah part of the big draw of these festivals right is this opportunity to meet uh the doc filmmakers of these new films to go to networking events to go to the after hour parties and so forth and 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 so so how are you getting around that how are you compensating for that uh in this case doing it virtually yeah sure as i said because you're helping ourselves with a with a with a networking uh sorry like a master class we've got a few uh we've got quite a few filmmakers that are going to be actually attending that so with Zoom and technology, we can still do things virtually and we can still have those connections on their time, on their terms, which is great. So um, we can still do these kind of things, but yeah. we're, we're relying a lot on you know email, Zoom, these kind of things to do that and also working towards actual physical screening, you know, so... Um, but, uh, you know, we've been sending out a help kit to filmmakers. So we're giving mm. them a list of like the feature filmmakers, list of distributors, list of um, in, in Australia, uh, video on demand services, list of um, other cinemas regionally in Australia, regional cinema uh, festivals that we recommend, international festivals we recommend. So we're trying to overcompensate for the fact that it's not a physical yeah. brick and mortar 
and we're deferring using technology Zoom to kind of compensate and fill that gap at the moment. Yeah. You, you talked about you know the excitement about dealing with something brand new and the technology aspects of it. So I'd like if we could touch a bit on that. Like, what is something that one can experience, say, with the virtual aspects of a film fest that you might not get with the in-person version? Well, I guess it's just this kind of festival design is more skewed towards the consumer. Yeah. So many of the films will have an introduction feature or have an introduction from the filmmaker, but it's not the traditional Q and A I'm saving the Q and A for in cinema screens, but we're having introductions up to about five minutes before each uh, film. Now with consulting some of the people that run these virtual cinemas, they said that, you know, introductions are a little bit more popular than the Q and A. So Q and A's by virtual cinemas aren't as popular as, as an introduction so oh. what we're trying to do is allow people to to go and watch the film on their term on their time so we open up the streams it's gonna be eight o'clock in the morning on the 30th of june okay. and we're going to turn the streams off on the 15th of july at 8 p.m so any time during that you can pop in you can watch as much as you want we've got capped allocation so we have, you know, up to 200, 300, 400 allocations of each documentary. Okay. Now the classification board said, would you like more? They said, would you like to have, you know, four times 200, 300, 400 yeah. streams? I said, no, I just want to do one, one online, one in cinema, keep my commitment to the filmmakers. Yeah. Okay. So we're just doing just, just the one, um, which I think is fine. And it just allows the consumer to like, it's, you know, if you're a shift worker, you know, I want to watch this documentary. It's on at eight 30. Mm. Actually, no, it's not. I can just watch it whenever I want. Yeah. That's so nice. We're trying to make it more skewed towards the consumer kind of giving people like that Netflix festival experience, fusing the two of that. It's a, it's a different approach cap allocation. Normally uh, virtual festivals are still keeping towards that kind of festival model. It's eight 30. Mm. You watch the cinema and then there's a Q and a, mm. you know, those kind of things. So you know, it's not business as usual. We're trying to innovate. We're trying to do something different, more skewed towards the consumer to yeah. see, you know, if if that, you know, taking the time day out of it will mean that people will be more likely to buy it because, or to see the film because yeah. there's not that constraint. So like, I can't make it. It looks like a good documentary. 8.30 PM, I've got something else on, you know? So <laughs> by taking that day and time out of it and just doing cap allocation. And the, and the, the thing about cap allocation is it's only deemed as one session. Right, so you imagine like a university lecturer pre-recording a lecture, and then the students watch it later on. It's exactly the same concept. Mm. It's only one session. It's not two hundred, three hundred, four hundred sessions. It's just deemed as one session. This is an important ruling for the classification board. So, this kind of opens up uh, online festivals uh, in a different way. You know, a different uh, way of doing it. You know? yeah. So, at the moment, most of the virtual festivals are still keeping to the model, but we're trying this different hybrid model of kind of fusing Netflix with a festival experience to give this kind of you know pop-up festival limited streams limited time uh thing to see how that works you know so in that aspect it's kind of innovative you know from from kind of doing it a different way than conventional festivals pre-sales look good so we'll see how it goes but um it's kind of very innovative like we're kind of breaking new ground classification board their the act doesn't respond to online festivals so they mm. get legal advice they've, they've certified i think up to five festivals mm. i'm the fifth one that's getting certified so it's really interesting um because uh, yeah, as i say the, the 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 act didn't really respond to online so they've had to get legal advice about the intention of the act and all that kind of stuff yeah so we're working very closely with the classification board to get compliance 
uh, almost there. I don't foresee any problems. Wow. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's interesting, but it's a lot of work, a lot of compliance, a lot of work to get these things online. That's good. So from the consumer perspective, the consumer side of things, walk me through how one would yeah. participate in this festival. Is it still a similar way in that sure. you buy a festival pass or are you buying one for each film? Yeah. How is it working now? Yeah, we could do all three. So basically what we're doing at the moment is we're doing a pre-sale. So pre-sales are up until the third where we activate the streams. So you can do one of a couple of ways to purchase uh, the documentaries in the festival. So first off, it's $8 a stream. So we don't call them tickets. We call them streams. Okay. okay? So it's $8 a stream to watch uh, a short session, a feature session. That's, that's a going price. So we looked at some research. They said that $8 is what consumers want to pay for a film. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's what we rated it to. Um, but if you really like documentaries, you can do a pick five, a pick 10 or a binge watch and you can watch the whole festival. Now, the, the other thing is a lot of people said, oh, this festival looks awesome. Can I watch it? It's geoblocked to Australia. So we're going, you know, across Australia to 30 million Australians. But, you know, people internationally can't watch the festival, um, ah, which is a shame. Okay. But, okay. But it, it's we're, we're geoblocked it to Australia. Yeah. So... Yeah, and that's the other thing that the classification board liked. This is our own, own idea. We wanted to, to kind of make it as if, you know, what we're trying to do is protect the filmmakers. You know, they've worked yeah. all this time yeah. on their documentary. So what we're trying to do is put it behind a paywall. Um, I'll just touch on a little bit about uh, We Are One Film Festival, about, you know, Tribeca and uh, Berlin and uh, Sydney Film Festival. They took their festival online, I think, via YouTube for free. Now, mm -hmm. For a documentary filmmaker, um, most filmmakers are like, I just want as many people to see my film as possible. And yeah. I think for them, Tribeca, uh, Sydney, the We Are One Film Festival is perfect. I mean, that's their intention. They want as many people to see the documentary as possible. There's another school of thought, Chris, where filmmakers are like, look, I've worked 10, 15 years on this film. I want to sell the film to a distributor. I want to put on video on demand. I want to compete in other film festivals. You know, I don't want everyone in the world to see my film, you know? Yeah. So for, for short filmmakers, I think, you know, the, the We Are One or some of the feature filmmakers, I mean, if you sign off on it, you, you know, it's, it's, it's the onus is on you. It's not on the festival. They've told you the terms and conditions. So I think they do a good job. But there's a lot of filmmakers that are like, you know, I mean, let's talk about you, Chris, and Elves in Cambodia. If, yeah. If, if uh, Trebekah said to you, look, we're going to play your film, Chris, it's going to be online for free. How would you feel about it? If we just, if I play festival director, you pay uh, filmmaker, how would you feel about it? That's, yeah. a, that's a great question. I'm probably going to do it, uh, Lyndon, but I would yeah. have to really think about it long and hard because as you, as you mentioned earlier, some filmmakers are working 10, 15 years on mm -hmm. this film, often from their own pockets. That is the case yeah. with Steph and I. We are in yeah. deep into year six or seven now. I've, I've forgotten at this point. Exactly. And m the majority of the financing has come from both Steph and I. And the thought, on yeah. one hand, you want the film seen by as many people as possible. But on the other hand, you yeah. know, you'd like to see some kind of fa financial return on this. And I wouldn't exactly. be begrudge anyone for that, right? No, no, exactly. And, and that's, that's my emphasis. So what I'm doing is I'm pretty behind a paywall, even the shorts. And it's paying off, Chris. Yeah. Uh, Al Jazeera's bought some of the films. Uh, Guardian's bought some of the films. ABC's bought some of the films. So by making that it a commodity, by putting it behind a wall, making it valuable, yeah. capping the streams, yeah. 
it gives people options and makes it valuable. And so people have been, you know, distributors have been biting, other festivals have been biting, which is good for the filmmaker. So I'm trying to protect the filmmaker by putting online. I'm not going to throw the other film festivals that go on free on YouTube under the bus. Right. I'm just saying that I'm trying to protect the filmmakers. You know, I'm trying to give them other opportunities to compete at other festivals. Return to cinema. We want to go back to the cinema. We're trying to help with that. Distributors. Um, you know, broadcasters, you know, media outlets, so they can sell their documents. I'm, I'm trying to protect the filmmaker. It's also very skewed towards the filmmaker, although we're not doing Q and A. Yeah, you know, I I really appreciate that, Lyndon, and I know you know our audience will very much appreciate that. But but more than that. What you're saying falls right in line with what you've been saying since the first day that we've had you on the program, which is I've always had the impression from you, Lyndon, and from and from MDFF yeah. that you're very much about the doc filmmaker. And not that other festivals aren't, but there yeah. definitely is something different in the way that you approach that, in the way yeah. that you make the doc filmmaker a very, very important uh, part of this whole process. I, I truly believe it's it's camaraderie, Chris. Like it, it's you know, I think sometimes I know competitive festivals you know, get it in the neck for it. They can be very exploitative of the filmmaker. You know, right. uh, I care very much about the filmmakers. Some filmmakers I meet have mortgaged their house making their documentary. You know, and then sometimes right. they're there selling paraphernalia for their film, a T-shirt, a cap. You know, I feel bad that you know some filmmakers are. In, I don't. I didn't ask people to, to mortgage their house to make a film, but yeah. I, I think it's it's hard sometimes not to feel for filmmakers and, you know, some of the opportunities in Australia have gone, you know, um, I'm not saying that there's not opportunities there. There's crowdfunding, um, you know, Screen Australia, Film Victoria, AIDC, Documentary Australia Foundation, Australia Culture Fund. There's a lot in Australia Council. There's a lot of opportunities out there and they do a lot of good work, but there's also a lot of filmmakers that are just kind of doing it themselves, indie people, you know, and, and I feel, you know, I have a lot of empathy for them, you know, and I, I just, I just, I, I, I want to help get interest in their film you know, help them get some awards, get some distribution. You know, I really want to have a, a relationship of camaraderie, not one of exploitation, one of where we're working together to help each other. Just look at the reviews. People people can see, people know, you know, they know that we do care. We do yeah. want to help. It's a hobby. We love documentary. We do want to help people out, you know? Yeah. Talk a little bit about the master classes that you guys are offering and how you're, how you're running that. Okay, so what we do, we've got four masterclasses at the moment. So we've got one on introduction to virtual reality. Um, so we're hoping to return to the cinema in December. We're doing like a pop-up virtual reality cinema. So we've got uh, Mike Lyons from the virtual reality. He's going to kick it off with uh, introduction to virtual reality. So what we're trying to do is to upskill particularly short filmmakers into virtual reality. So he's going to help with tell you about all the kind of you know, things that you need, all the materials you need and all the kind of, um, you know, uh, kind of uh, concepts and stuff like that with virtual reality. And then I believe we have got Melody Gilbert. She's lovely. Um, I've been talking to her for quite some time since the festival began. She's a lecturer out of the United States. Yeah. And she's going to do 12 tips for indie documentary filmmakers. Again, trying to empower filmmakers to you know, um, look at different ways and, and to be successful and stuff like that. We've got yourself as well doing doc entrepreneurship and talk about, you know, your experience doing the documentary life. And then we'll also have uh, Camilla uh, looking at investigative journalism and, and Black Lives Matters. Yeah. So, so wow. some exciting and eclectic, uh, you know, masterclasses. So, yeah, I think that's going to be good. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Lyndon, uh, as always, I appreciate the conversation and I always look forward to speaking with you. And I know that these are difficult times and 
you obviously have found some amazing ways to, to make this continue to work. And I know yeah. that doc filmmakers and myself very much appreciate what you're doing. Yeah. And I look forward to discovering and seeing more how this hybrid process works out for you guys. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. It's a lot of hard work. I just want to say, you know, thanks for your help and support, Chris. And, you know, we're just trying to do something fun for Melbourne. You know, it's, it's been through a really rough time and I'm trying to keep our promises to filmmakers and and to, to do something online. And I, I want to thank them for, for allowing us to do that. It's a difficult and challenging time. And, you know, we're rising to the occasion and we're trying to keep people safe and also innovate, but it's mainly about safety. Yeah? Very well, Lyndon. It's wonderful talking with you. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, thank you. Melody Gilbert is a documentary filmmaker and passionate film educator. As an award-winning director, producer, cinematographer, and editor who has directed eight feature-length films, her work has screened at major festivals and been distributed internationally and on VOD. The films she directs are noteworthy for featuring a rare intimacy with her subjects as she unearths previously hidden worlds. She works mostly solo as a one-woman crew and has the ability to get people to reveal their innermost thoughts. Her work has been supported by the Jerome Foundation, Minnesota State Arts Board, and a McKnight Foundation Filmmaker Fellowship. Prior to independent documentary filmmaking, Melody was an award-winning broadcast journalist specializing in investigative reporting. She has also been a freelance producer for NBC, CBS, and ABC News. First and foremost, Melody Gilbert, welcome to The Documentary Life. And thank you for having me. I'm a fan of your show, so I appreciate being oh, here. Oh, uh, that's wonderful. I, I'm glad to hear that, and, and I appreciate that very much. Um, Melody, we obviously could have a much fuller discussion with you and your documentary back background, but as I had, had said to you, you know, before we came on, a big part of our discussion is really going to focus on uh, film festivals and really, in particular, what's happening now with this sort of pivot to virtual or online film festivals. And I know that you have recently had a film that has shown in Minneapolis at a film festival that did go the online route. So just before we get to that, Melody, um, I'd love to hear what your experience, your general experience with film festivals has been like leading up to this year. Oh, well, I think I was like a lot of independent documentary filmmakers, you know, making a film and going on the film festival circuit and looking for distribution and making connections. I mean, that's what we all did. It was like, I, I looked forward to that. Um, making the rounds. That's what we do, you know, make films and then make the rounds with our films. And I have been, I think, fairly successful at getting my films distributed. And that's all part of being out in the world at those places, markets, um, you know, Film Week, IFA, all these places. So that's important. And um, I was really, really concerned when, uh, you know, COVID came to our world that I would not and what would happen? Like, how would we be able to do this? And I think we were all just like zombies for a while. Like, what's going to happen? And how will we get our film seen? And I actually have two films now. So I, I'm like, what do I do now? I have a feature and a short. What do I do? So I think that was a question a lot of us were asking ourselves. 
Yeah, I'll bet. Now, you specifically had a documentary that was selected for inclusion in the Minneapolis St. Paul Film Festival this year. It was scheduled to run in April. Yeah. They had to pivot to an online festival, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, please. I was just to say they were one of the first. Um, I think, I know it was Copenhagen, uh, CPH went first, and then I think Cleveland, where the short that I had was premiering online. And I mean, a short, you don't really, it doesn't have the same meaning. It's your feature, it's your premiere, it's a baby. You want to make sure that it's the right thing. And so they pivoted pretty quickly, but it still wasn't until May um, Mm. that the festival said they were going to go online. And I had to make that decision. What do I do? Well, let's talk about the longer documentary that yeah. showed or that was to show at Minneapolis St. Paul yeah. Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Tell me what your initial thoughts about this was when they contacted you and say, hey, look, we're still going to run the festival, but it's going to be slightly different this year. <laughs> what were your initial thoughts? And then talk about some of your hesitations. Okay. So the film is called Stories I Didn't Know. And yeah. it, it was a five-year uh, project kind of oh, between three and five years, you know how this goes and you're, yeah. you know, and they said, well, we can go online and we're not asking all of the films to do that. Um, but just sort of some select ones that they think they would probably have some success with. And mm. I think the festival itself was maybe cut in half to what it would normally be. So he's okay, maybe it's going to get more attention, but who's going to go online to watch these films? Yeah. Who is going to pay for them when everybody right at that time would right. give away their products for free? I mean, right. I had put my films up online saying, okay, everybody, you're home and you're in lockdown. Here are some of my old <laughs> films for free. We're all watching all these free films. Yeah. Who's going to yeah. go online? Oh, yeah. So we, um, my co-director, Rita Davern and I, and she's a first-time filmmaker. And yeah. so I worked with her. We discussed it. And I think she was actually fairly hesitant to do it. And I said, mm. you know what? Here's, here was the pivot for me. Yeah, it's what, what swung your a, decision? Yeah, it's going to be a very long time until we're going to be yeah. back in a physical space. And yeah. when we really, you know, I think at that time, even we were thinking maybe in six months, we'll be back in a physical space. Should mm, we hold right. it? Will it be better for distribution if we hold it and all those things? But let's just try it. Like, yeah. why not? You know, it yeah. can't hurt. It was mostly a crowdfunded film. It didn't have uh, broadcast distribution like a lot of films that are sort of talking about this now. We we really we wanted to gauge reaction. We wanted to see, you know, if we could get some reviews. And I thought, well, this is the right way to do it. Let's see if it works. And that was sort of what we kind of shifted gears, maybe I think over 24 hours from no way to why not? And um, it worked out pretty well, which I'll explain in a minute. Yeah, I mean, I mean, let's just get right into that. What what worked for you? What didn't? And then maybe what surprised you the most? Okay, so I what worked is that it turned out to be an amazing experience. I mean, it was wow. a it was a it's such a surprise. Uh, first of all, we were the first film to sell out, and that was two hundred and fifty tickets. So the first film to sell out online. Wow. Then they asked us, um, "Would you like more tickets to be allowed?" Because you know you're talking about the geo. Yeah restrictions and time windows. New terms, new terms that we have to get used to. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so, you know, we moved forward. I'm I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but it was was a success. We had so many people we sold out twice. um, And we had an amazing Zoom Q&A right after our premiere screening. Mm. And I think the most important thing I learned from all of this is to 
treat this as if it really is a premiere. We did the exact same thing as it's premiere. We got time windowed. I said, you know, I want it on a Sunday at five o'clock when I thought most people would be home. And we scheduled it for that. And that's how we did our promotion. We're like, come join us as if you were coming to a festival. And I just can't believe we had hundreds of people at the screening. We had hundreds of people at the Q&A afterwards. I mean, it was such, to answer your question about a surprise, it was such a surprise that it had all those same feelings, right? Like the kind of nervousness that happens before, the anticipation, the excitement, the buildup, the PR, the actual screening during the time was like, oh my God, we were, I wonder how people are responding. And then right afterwards, we had a Q&A as if we were, doing a real right. Q&A with all right. these people from everywhere. And actually, another surprise is that that Q&A lasted much longer than a regular Q&A. That's but, what I read. Yeah. Incredible. And it was, yeah, because I wrote that article about it. And it was so much fun, an hour, and people still wanted to keep talking. So all those things were really joyful and surprising yeah. for us. And then the second part of that, of course, is the reaction that we got, because you never know. And, um, you know, we were even up to the very last day, we were number one in audience award voting. We got all of these amazing comments from people. We were asked to be um, on, you know, podcast and radio. And, you know, it was just it was exactly what we wanted. So it worked Mm. for us. And not I don't say online film festivals or virtual festivals are for everyone. Yeah, for sure. It worked for us for this film. So I think that's one of the questions people have to ask themselves. You know what I'm really curious to know is this. You did say this was done via a Zoom format, correct? The Q and A. The Q and A afterwards yeah. was yeah. yeah. So I'm curious, Melody, were you actually able to see people's faces? Could you see individuals' faces? No. That were trained. Okay. And that. Course, that seems like the next the next logical step yeah. in a way. Yes, and I hope that that does happen in the future. It, there were yeah. too many people there to control it, and right. I feel like. Um, most of the festivals and even the workshops that a lot of us have been probably going to over the last couple of months, they yeah. tend to be more the speakers and then everyone else is like down, down in yeah. the thing that says that yeah, how many people area. are there yeah, and yeah. <laughs> kind of guess who's there. But, you know, people are chatting also sometimes on the side. So that yeah. helps. But in this particular Q&A, there was no chat. I think right. in the future Q&As, um, I suggested it would be good to have chat so we could have questions from the audience that way. But people were emailing in questions somehow. So anyway, Amazing. it was a delight. And the programmer, Craig Rice, uh, was a fa- fabulous moderator. I mean, that's a big part of it, too, having good moderator. Yeah, of course. Of and course. It, 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 it just was such a joyful experience for us. And we're still kind of riding high. And it was, you know, over a month ago at this yeah. point. And, and we yeah. just enjoyed every step of the way. Um, so Melody, you did say that this wouldn't necess- it worked really well for you guys and you had a yeah. wonderful experience. I'm curious yeah. Melody, who might this what what documentary filmmaker <laughs> might might this not work for? Well, I think people who were going to premiere at, you know, South by or Tribeca, some of these very large festivals that maybe were really counting on those festivals as a place to be discovered. Yeah. Whether they're a filmmaker with yeah. a film hoping like, oh my God, I finally got into Tribeca or South by this is my big chance. Um, Maybe it isn't right for them to do it. Um, I, I, you know, maybe, I mean, I know the other part of that is that there are a lot of people who want really still, even now are holding on to, I just can't do it because I want that film festival experience. And I want that. But yet most of those people, and I'll be honest, 
and there a lot of them are my friends. They already have distribution. They'll already be on HBO. Uh, they'll already be right. I mean, they're already going to yeah. be on PBS. They're already got their VOD all figured out. The, yeah. the festivals for them was that fun part where they got yeah. to get feedback and yeah. connect with their friends and audience yeah. members and family and all that stuff is just wonderful. But when you yeah. put that aside and say, you know what, we can hardly have a backyard barbecue right now and it's not going to happen, then then move on and say, yeah. gosh, you know what, you're lucky that you have HBO. We don't have HBO. The good yeah. thing for me is that I can take all of the things that I discovered from being in this online film festival. I get a sense of what this film is. I mean, I've made a lot of films. So yeah. I'm getting a feeling for just from being in this one festival so far, where it stands. Like everyone's saying, well, this would probably be great for PBS. And you know yeah. what? I agree. And maybe normally I would have done this differently, like contact people in advance, or maybe I'd have a meeting somewhere, you know, at film week, like, are you yeah. interested in this film or not? But now it can just have a different way to maybe PBS or maybe to educational distribution, mm. whatever it might be, because it's a film, you know, about family and history and, right. um, you know, land and land theft. And also that's another thing that we've learned a lot about, which is that this is a very timely film because of what's going on in the world. So it's all these yeah. things that we're talking about right now about yes. history and, and, you know, whose history is whose history and how do we deal with these things and her journey is what is so interesting because I think a lot of people relate to that. And that's what I got from being in the online film festival. That's what you got from that. Well, it's interesting, you know, you also mentioned that some people might be hanging on to their to their uh -huh. understanding, hanging on to their yes. films with premiering it and trying to kind of wait this out. And, you know, it's like you said at the outset, who knows when this is going to, you know, resolve itself and who knows when you're going to be back in theaters to be able to see your film on the screen. And in yeah. fact, last week, Doc NYC released their statement and released their plans for their festival. Yep. Yep. And they're primarily going online and virtual yeah. with their festival. And that's in November. Yes, so they're I jumping know. ahead it's of the game. It's going to be saying, at least hey, a year. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. But, but I got to say, the thing that's really positive about all this that has happened is that we now know that going online and doing virtual film festivals reaches different audiences than would yeah. normally come to film festivals. Yeah. And that is also a huge positive. Oh, I mean, yes. um, we, we found out somehow with the data and all of that, that there were so many people that had never been to a film festival before wow. and certainly had never been to Emsmith before, but tuned in <laughs> to yeah. this festival and watched something and paid money to watch it right. because right. of the subject matter or because yeah. of maybe because of the filmmakers or whatever it might be. But yeah. that's a whole new way of reaching an audience that you never did before. So Doc NYC and these other festivals that are going forward now, well, they will certainly see that this is like, I think hybrid mm. will be kind of the hybrid. buzz of the future. Why I think not? so too. I think Why so. Not? It yeah. makes perfect sense because we've now learned yeah. how to do this. We know yeah. how. You know, when yeah. M. Smith was first, Minneapolis St. Paul was first approaching that they, they didn't even have like a platform to do it yet. And they were searching for one and they talked to Cleveland and they talked to, and then they did it and they did an amazing right. job. Right. And also they were great partners because they um, supported us in PR. They supported us financially. They gave yeah, that's screening huge. fees. Yeah. I don't even get screening fees for most of the film festivals that I go to. I mean, I try, but yeah. you know, in general, that's not given to 
the independent filmmaker without distribution, totally. we don't get screening fees. So I got a screening fee. We got additional box office um, uh, split after mm. what happened afterwards was they offered us a weekend in yeah. the theater. Yeah. And we so. <laughs> that. so it's this crazy stuff now that's going on that's really beneficial for, I think just you have to think about your goals. You have to think about what's right for you. And those people are holding on. Well, good luck. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, the worst, the people I feel the worst for are the emerging filmmakers who this was their moment to shine. But 100%. Honestly, you yeah. know, I honestly feel for them. And I would like, I think a lot of us who are sort of, you know, have more experience in this world, in the yeah. doc world, will probably get together somehow and find a way to help them and lift them up and maybe have something to, you know, do online um, networking and connecting yeah. somehow because they are the ones I feel the worst for. Because Absolutely. I know that feeling of going... Yeah. And being discovered and having your film seen and validated after all that work. So I do yeah. feel worse for them. But the ones who already had the distribution, I don't yeah. feel so bad for. Yeah, yeah. We had Jiayan um, uh, Jenny Shi on the program okay. right just before, you know, for Finding Ying Ying's her film. Yeah. And that's that was her director debut. You know, that's right. her first documentary film. And it was set mm -hmm. to premiere at South By. And, yep. and, you know, we talked to her just really just after that had been canceled. And oh, that's a prime example, right, of an emerging yeah, filmmaker who, yep. you know. Yes, and I know her, and I know yeah, Brent, and I know Yeah, the yeah, we had Brent on the show, and, yeah. Yeah, and there, you know, I, that, yes, that's a perfect example. And yeah. I think the teacher in me, of course, feels horrible, you awful, know, for yeah, her awful. and, and Medill, and that was such yeah. a great, wonderful thing to have happened. But I also think that we're all do things the best we can to yeah. guide her, help her. And, you know, they're connected to Cartempwin now. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Things are coming from it. But but yeah. I think that is the hardest thing. And, um, other, you know, other than that, I really, I can, can't can see any negative from this except yeah. for one thing, which is... The parties? It, yeah, that too. <laughs> the things we're missing, yeah. I'm talking about the distribution that I think yeah. that, that there are still some sort of old time distributors that are holding yeah. on to the idea of oh you've already shown your film online yeah. well we can't yeah. you know we can't show it now yeah we or have even no interest. festivals but i think people are going to come around to that i you do know, too it was geo restricted to minnesota so no one else saw it outside of minnesota so yeah. your festival can have it or yeah. you as a distributor right. you know you're not interested right now well that's on you i mean i think i have a film that will sell and yeah. people will watch. And I have proof of that now. I didn't know that before. Well, that's just it, right? You have proof now of the people that want <laughs> yeah. to see this film, which yeah. is wonderful, right? And, <laughs> and and it's hard for me to believe that during this time when so much consumption of TV and films are happening, that there's yeah. not going to be a need for our films, regardless Absolutely. if it's shown at the festival I, or not. Come yeah. on, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, the value for us as well everybody else or not everybody a lot of people were sitting around waiting and wondering is this going to work yeah we found an audience in that time oh where that's so been big six months or a year from now and poor yeah. rita first time filmmaker she yeah. was like, no i want to wait i want to wait i'm like no oh, you don't. and i get it yeah i understand we all understand that but yeah. now she's thrilled that we did it this right way. So, right. and it also helps with, we are now looking to create an educational guide, which we didn't have. And wow. now she can go and get funding for something like that to help yeah. because now we know that people are responding. I mean, it's yeah. a really, you know, I, I really can hardly see a negative of it. The only mm. thing I will say is that that was for a feature and it was time windowed. 
Yeah. Again, meaning that we had a premiere time and date that was very important. It wasn't like put it up and it's up for the whole festival. We, oh, yeah. we had a time window premiere time and day, and then it was available for the rest of the week. Okay. But we didn't tell anybody that at first. Yeah. We just oh said, sure. Here's the come premiere, see the premiere. the premiere. Yeah. Just like anything else, and then it was available so people could continue to watch and vote and all those things. But I will say that the success of the short that was also the one that was in Cleveland called yeah. Viewfinder. And um, it's about a guy who takes a picture a day for every day for 23 years on a film camera. And that was premiered at Cleveland. And I got some feedback from Cleveland, some people who contacted me directly um, and tweeted about it and some things like that, which was very nice. Um, but it kind of got lost in the shuffle, I think. It ends up. I feel like the shorts got lost in the shuffle there, but they did great. Well, I mean, they had them, so I don't really know. That was my personal experience. I yeah. got virtually no feedback uh, from anybody directly about the short, but the feature, my goodness. So I think wow. if you have a feature and you can get sort of these specific time window geo blocks, you know, and you and even work on, I mean, the Minneapolis St. Paul International Film Society was gracious to offer screening fees and share box office and all kinds of stuff. And I think yeah. you just have to work with the programmers with those festivals and have it be like, oh, it was one of a few films that were really highlighted and pushed by the PR people there. Right. Um, you know, it had a Minnesota subject. It's a universal. Totally. Subject, yeah. But it was a Minnesota subject. So that helped, you yeah. know. All those kind of things. So I, I don't really see any negative at all right now. I really yeah. don't. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, Melody, it, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. And Thanks. I'm so happy to have gotten this insight on sort of somebody, a filmmaker, who's had their film shown at, at, uh, at a virtual film festival. And yeah, um, yeah thank think, you so I, much for doing it. But but here's the thing, Melody. Yeah. I would love to have you on the program in a future date so we can have a, a lengthier discussion. I would, oh, If sure. you would do that, that would be fantastic. I'd be thrilled to be back. I, yeah. I Like I said, I'm a fan of the show so bring me back <laughs> absolutely absolutely thank you so much for joining us today on, on the show all right thank you now don't forget if you enjoy the podcast and you'd like the opportunity to win a free 30-minute doc film consultation with me head on over to itunes and write us a rate and review email me a screenshot of the rate and review to my email chris at barongfilms.com again that's chris at b-a-r-a-n-g films.com Thanks again. We'll see you next episode.